0: In emergency management, does uh, cybersecurity have a role? Absolutely. The real question is, will you realize it soon enough before something goes, uh uh-oh, and you have an emergency inside of your emergency?
1: Welcome to Risk Matters X.0. In this episode, we discuss cyber risk management at ports and terminals from a practitioner's point of view. Brian Shigeri, a former facilities officer, and Brian Markland, a current facilities officer, talked through how daily life has changed as cyber risk has become a key part of operations. And hello, everybody. My name is Brian Shigeri with ABS Group. Uh, joining me here today is Brian Markland with Lucite International, uh, one of the MTSA regulated facilities in the Southeast Texas area. A little bit of uh, background about myself, I'm a cyber assessor with ABS, um, prior active duty Coast Guard, working in both the cybersecurity and marine fields. Now that you know a little bit about me, Brian, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you, Brian. Uh, my name is Brian Marklin.
0: I uh, retired out of the Coast Guard in 2014, and I've been with uh, Lucite International as the emergency response manager and facility security
1: officer for about six years now. Um, what we're going to talk about today is 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 risk and security risk in a little bit more of a different limelight. Uh, we, we've we've harped on physical security a lot since nine eleven, you know, in the in the ports and terminals world, um, and especially at MTSa regulated facilities. We 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 know the drivers behind physical risk, you know, with terrorism, criminal activity, and even unintentional damage to you know to to uh, facilities, but. Um, one thing that's evolved in recent years is cybersecurity. And when I was working with Brian for quite a long time, we, we were sort of on the on the fringe of, of, of trying to get cybersecurity, you know, turned into a bigger deal at our facility, especially just before I came to ABS. And um, Brian, I know you've been with Lucite. Has cybersecurity really kind of changed as far as from the day you stepped foot on that facility? Probably what, in 2014 to what it is now?
0: You know, I think with the, some of the regulatory views, the way the Coast Guard looks at things now is much different uh, in the cyber realm. I think the, uh, your physical security items are, are pretty well seasoned. People know what to expect. They know what to look for. I think during the last few years when they brought cyber into the, the, the world of a facility security officer's life, um, I think it changed a bit, you know, it changed what their focus is. It changed what they look for. Um, the Coast Guard definitely comes in, you know, looking for that now in your assessments and your facility security plans. Um, it's It's been a uh, included if you can item up until recently. And then, uh, as you know, the NAVIC came out, and you'll probably talk about that and, and some other uh, encouragement from the Coast Guard to make sure that we include cyber as part of our, uh, facility security assessments and our facility security plans and drills with it exercises uh, the whole nine yards so it's a it's been a significant uh uptick and, and extra resp- responsibility for the facility security officers
1: right yeah and i know when i was there it was it was sort of uh uh i mean you and i both know it was, it was kind of a headache to get cyber to be, you know, kind of put into the limelight with our, you know, with, with, with just some of our daily duties because you and I were so busy with the the, the seven million different jobs that both you and I had on site. And I, I know it's still like that for you, but um, you know, it's 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 very easy for those of you that are listening, it's very easy for cyber to get pushed aside in facilities. And it's quite normal because Folks like Brian and I, you know, we were uh, part of the emergency response team on site, which that ate up maybe about half of our time between training and real-world incidents on site. Um, uh, you know, we were involved in partnerships with local emergency managers, including our county and state governments, um, and, and also other MTSA-related facilities. Um, you know, we, 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 were, we were very much engaged with, with going to regular meetings with them. And, uh, um, and you know, managing the physical security and the day-to-day operations of the site. And um, those are just some of the really big responsibilities that we have as FSOs. But, you know, we mentioned those partnerships we had and some of the meetings that we, you know, go to all the time. And uh, even our duties as emergency response managers and emergency managers really on the site, you know, it's 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 kind of like safety. You always want to put cyber in the back of your mind, um, you, you know, especially as you go about your daily FSO duties. So use the FSO now, and, you know, in addition to all the duties you have, what, what, what risk does, does, does cyber still play into all those roles?
0: You know, I, I think the biggest thing is trying to bring it into the forefront of, of looking at it Holistically at your facility, and and cyber is is just another one of those uh, items. You know, you've got um, you know cameras and fence detection and the security guards to manage. Uh, you've got your plans, your inspections, your audits, all those things that come into play. And you've really got to make sure that cyber is included into all those. And it's uh, it was probably a lot tougher a few years ago. Uh, I think in the last probably two to three years it's really gotten, I guess, began to come in its own. I'm not, I'm far from going to say it's there and it's, it's included in everything we do as it should be. Um, But I really think we're, we're heading in the right direction with it. We're, we're including it in some, at least some, uh, some drills and some of the exercises Uh, I think giving our, uh, our IT and our OT folks um, kind of a, a seat at the table, so to speak, and because uh, they heard some of these things were coming, and they really didn't know who was uh, who was managing them on site. And when you when you help them realize that they're helping to manage them, they're part of the team that's coming on site. I really think that makes a big difference in their buy-in and uh, their support of what needs to be done and the work that goes in behind it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a really good point talking about dragging in other people into your regular audits and inspections. Um, I think it's very important for facilities, especially now with with, with cyber and still being a very confusing factor with a lot of uh, industry folks, is that, you know, if you get everybody in the room and get everybody on the same page and communicate, that we can, you know, all, all sort of work towards understanding it, um, which really kind of brings me to, um, you know, brings me to the next point. Have you seen in your career as an FSO um, over the years, do they treat cyber as a security issue or is it still just kind of something that they they, they kind of flake off and assume it's being handled? Well, I,
0: I think cybersecurity um, is beginning to come in its own. Like I said, it's far from probably where it needs to be at at, at every facility, ours included. You know, it's probably not where it needs to be. We're, uh, we're getting there. It, I think it's one of those. It's one of those things that people initially looked at. Oh, what's what's cybersecurity? And a lot of people, you know, and, and I would even dare say most management teams think that it belongs to IT. Say, oh, all this that that belongs to all the IT guys. It's cyber. It sounds like computer stuff. It must belong to the computer people. Yeah. Um, when in reality, it's all about the the linkages to your um to your ot and the and the people that run the ot and are there you know what are the what are the conduits and pathways and connections and where does it touch the internet at and there's a there's a whole realm that people aren't uh aren't quite uh or at least weren't quite catching on to a few years ago where i think now it's beginning to it's beginning to come into its own and i think the i think the coast guard uh leaning on uh, some of the nist standards really helps um helps guide um, where FSOs should be uh, moving their organizations to be on top of cyber as part of their facility security posture overall.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you mentioned the NIST standards, um, and, and for those of you that are listening, the Coast Guard has recognized uh, several NIST families um, to be you know, part of, of, of what they recognize as cybersecurity for facilities, those include Really, the uh, top two is uh, NIST Special Publication 800 53 Revision 4 and NIST Special Publication 800 two Revision 2, which are um, the um, A2, the latter is meant for industrial control systems, whereas the 53 series is kind of an overarching of controls that uh, use the FSO. If you're an FSO and you're listening to this right now, if you were to break out NIST 800 three you're going to see a lot, and I mean a lot of correlations over to existing regs in 33 CFR 105. Um, when I first discovered NIST 8053 years ago uh, as an FSO when I was working with Brian at LooSite, uh, I, I was kind of shocked and amazed to see how much the language was almost similar in many cases. And you're going to see a lot of things in there that you don't even think about that do pertain to cyber, such as access control, Physical environment. Um, there's even a fire protection section in there, which, again, going back to our duties as FSOS, we're charged with emergency management. And so you're going to see a lot of correlations in there, and you're going to see a lot of of um, you're going to see a lot of things that you already know. And you're going to take these things that you already know and you see in these NIST standards, and you're going to be able to easily apply it to your security program and really mature your cybersecurity stance. Um, at, because a lot of people think cybersecurity is very technical, but you know, kind of like Brian said, getting other people involved um, and just kind of you know taking it seriously and, and seeing yourself as a responsible member in that organization, you're gonna see that um, you know, that you can be that stepping stone and it's not very complicated at all. It's just it's just very tedious. Um so speaking of emergency management, um uh, Brian and I were were very active in our state emergency management uh, coordination, especially for drills and exercises. Brian and I did several hurricanes together, both on active duty Coast Guard and uh, at, when we were both at Lucite together. Um, Brian, does, does with regards to cyber and you know natural disasters, um, what's your stance on that? Because I know we had a lot of issues at Lucite uh, with with some of our you know, it's little things like badge readers getting destroyed by hurricane floodwaters, and you know we had no backups for those. And so, you know, is is that something that you know FSO should be correlating together? Well, first off, Brian,
0: it was eight eight hurricanes we've done together, eight major Gulf Coast hurricanes. Yes, it was. That was i throw it out
1: there. Yeah, I was speaking. <laughs> yeah, so if you're listening, that was between 2003 and 2010. Brian and I were active duty together, and. uh, uh, and it was it was a lot of hurricanes.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, challenge. So uh, back to your question: um, in in emergency management, does uh, cybersecurity have a role? And the question is: absolutely. The real question is: will you realize it soon enough before something goes uh oh, and you have an emergency inside of your emergency? Um, I think there's there's plenty of bad actors around the world waiting for uh, natural disasters or some other incident to happen and are just looking for, uh, looking for, uh, you know, holes in your security uh, posture, uh, particularly in cybersecurity. It's, it's, uh, you know, the, the world we're living in right now with the, the COVID-19 uh, response, everybody, when I say everybody, most everybody is working remotely unless you're an essential employee that needs to put your hands on something on the facility we are all scattered to the winds working from home so our laptops our home internet routers our wi-fi everything you know connecting in and i'm not i'm not one of the engineer types but i could imagine that um, you've got you've got engineers working from home trying to monitor the process accordingly and those kinds of things and uh and we've got some pretty uh, and i know you know this brian but I'll share it anyway. We've got some pretty robust uh, uh, firewall and uh, layered layered protections and security for people to get in and out of even monitoring uh, any of our OT uh, type equipment. So it's uh, it, it really comes down to to making sure that that stuff's in place before you have an emergency. You trying to trying to plan. Um, around deficiencies uh, that you know exist in a, a cybersecurity, uh, oh, the cybersecurity world during a real-world incident uh, would just be a, a really, really big challenge, and you probably wouldn't hit it 100% um, if you wait until you have uh, have an emergency. But my my greater thoughts would be, you know, somebody hacking into your somehow hacking into your your OT systems. And being able to move any of those controls or, you know, valves or or, or, or anything, even even uh, monitors that you could uh, sway one way or the other to to cause other things to happen. And uh, like I said, we've got some pretty good, pretty robust um, uh, physical, you know, what I call air gapping in place, and some the uh, ones that are connected, we've got some really uh, really robust uh, firewalls and and uh, security systems that that keep them from uh, being accessed by, you know, bad actors. Did I, did I, did I meet your, uh, your question enough there? I'd, I'd circle around. We kind of talked about a lot. <laughs> no, of stuff. absolutely. I
1: just want to make sure we're, we're on par with yeah. it. Yeah. I, I mean, the key takeaway here is like you mentioned is, is having those controls in place to make sure that your stuff's protected from the outside. And, you know, you mentioned the current COVID-19 situation and yeah, you, I mean, you're absolutely right. We're, we're seeing a huge uptick right now. Uh, in remote capability, um, in in remote working, especially on the operational side, which you know I always personally say there's nothing wrong with with uh, you know remotely doing your work, uh, especially doing operational work. There, there's many reasons behind it. You know, first it's you know first and foremost it's cheap, and secondly it's convenient, and there's nothing wrong with it. You just got to have those proper measures in place. You know, like Brian had talked about you know, in regards to emergency management. You know, you never, ever want what we call, what Brian and I always call, a battlefield introduction. That's, a, that's the worst thing you, you, that you want to do when it comes to being not only an FSO, but an FSO with emergency management uh, duties. Um, so, you know, Brian and I were, uh, and Brian still is, uh, you know, very involved, like we mentioned earlier, in a lot of the uh, state emergency management meetings. There was uh, a lot of committees that we both served on, still serve on right now. Um, for information sharing with partnering, you know, with other facilities, you know, seeing how other facilities do cybersecurity or even just physical security standards, um, and we would even team with some of the safety training councils in the area, um, you know, for security best practices. Um, if you're not familiar with what safety training councils are, that's for, you know, your your general labor general labor contractors or you know other support contracting staff that comes onto a site. They generally have to go through that before they come on board, you know, just to have all their safety training. And we would always team with, with, with people like that, just, just sharing information, uh, with security best practices. So, you know, we really encourage that throughout industry because if you stay locked up in your office, there's another rule Brian and I always had was if you're in your office for more than three hours a day, then you're not doing your job, unless it was administrative work. But, um, you know, get out, uh, a partner with other people, walk around your site, you know, especially if you're listening, you're an FSO, you should be walking around your site anyway and checking on things. But, you know, don't, don't turn a blind eye to you just just checking on your fence line and babysitting the guards, so to speak. You, you really have to engage with people around your site to set up that, that cybersecurity program that you want. You know, talk, talk with contractors, you know, walk up to the contract security guards and say, what does cybersecurity mean to you? You know, and just gauge their level, gauge their knowledge, and see if it's something you want to, you know, if you want to get training involved, get with your ITs and see if they can, you know, maybe do a, a, a quick uh, cybersecurity speech. It doesn't have to be more than 15 minutes at your next monthly safety meeting. You know, little things like that can go a long way um, in establishing your cybersecurity program. You know, after 9-11, we were really struggling to try to figure out how to meet these Coast Guard demands, late 4th and 105 and uh it took us a while but we got there but you know we're seeing the same repetition cycle now with uh with cybersecurity if you know if we work towards establishing that and interacting with each other then we can you know easily um, conquer that so um and and that kind of leads me to something else Brian um how does how does your management view cybersecurity for your operational technology i know a lot of people have it staffs and they have a head it somewhere but, um, how, you know, without getting into too much information for sake of SSI, what how does your how does your IT staff view operational security?
0: Well, I think they in our in our world and, and I think rightfully so in our and I can speak for our facility. Um, we've got we've got your your IT technology uh, staff and you've got your OT technology staff and they really don't share a whole lot of duties, and I think that that in itself is probably good. What they do share is is information back and forth with each other, so so everybody knows without question where those connection points are, and is 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 your IT stuff being protected? You know where it makes that interface, and is your OT stuff being protected? Where it makes that interface? So I I think from our from our point of view, I believe that we're we're doing it right. Is it 100% perfect? I'm, I'm I'm sure it's not. We could you know get rid of all the staff and say we're we don't need you anymore. But I know that's not the case. So there's there's always that emerging technology and those things that, that they have to look for and those you know their, their software patches and firmware patches and all those things that they need that that they stay up on all the time um, to to keep us to keep us really to keep us safe inside and outside the facility.
1: Right, absolutely. And, 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 and you segue into a good point, um, you know, what's connected to each other. A lot of people don't think to themselves, you know, is my security equipment part of the operational technology system? And it absolutely is because, um, you know, OT, operational technology, doesn't just extend uh, over to pipelines and valves and stuff, but... Um, You know, it's also the access control devices at your facility. You know, your turnstiles are controlled by little computers called a programmable logic controller. And those controllers are really little dumb computers that do whatever you tell it to do. They're not going to challenge anything. Um, So, you know, if you were to, you know, say, have one of these uh, PLCs or programmable logic controllers on the outside of the secure restricted footprint. And if you were to walk up to it and unplug the Ethernet cable, well, now you've got a free spinning turnstile. Um, you know, and people also too, don't think about the security cameras as part of the OT, you know, that may be an IT run system, but you know, what's it connected to? It really all depends about connections. So the FSO should be engaged in, you know, making sure that those PLCs that control those turnstiles, that they're locked up in lock cabinets. Uh, if they have a security integrator that comes on the facility, uh, they should likewise be checking for this and, um, you know, they need to be making recommendations to you to, to, to try to help keep that, that uh, security infrastructure secure. So, you know, that, 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 that kind of leads me into my next point. Um, uh, as the AFSO, when I was working with Brian, I was in charge of the security guards. And uh, the contract security guards, you know, were tasked with physical security, but one thing I taught them was to check for those cabinets to make sure that things were locked that had to, that were supposed to have been locked for access control. Um, you know, because I told them, you know, what could happen if a contractor or somebody who wanted to cause an issue at our site wanted to, you know, have anybody come in, all they had to do was walk up to these little these little PLCs and unplug the cable, and now we've got a free spinning turnstile. So, you know, of course, all our stuff is locked up, but there are some facilities out there that maybe that stuff isn't locked. So it's it's, it's just something to think about in the back of your mind. Cybersecurity, kind of like what we mentioned earlier, involves everybody, not just you as the FSO and not just the ITs. So, um, okay, well, uh, I, I think we're going to kind of wrap up here. Brian, do you, have any, um, do you have any closing comments about it?
0: Well, well, ladies and gentlemen, we'd love to to have you uh, listen to our podcast. And if you've made it this far, you have. So thank you for listening to the Brian and Brian show. <laughs> All right, I had to throw that in there. I couldn't help myself. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You're going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: To sum it all up, to, to sum up, what does uh, what does cybersecurity mean to an FSO in today's world? Um, I think it's a needed skill set, I think it needs to become. You know, you may not become a cyber expert or an IT expert or an OT expert, but by all means, at least know the know uh, who's your color to grab when you need one of those skill sets, or you need educated on a on a piece of it. You're, uh, normally, as an FSO, it's not your uh, world of expertise, uh, and it's not required of you to be an expert in all things cyber. But uh, please grab that team and uh, and have them sit down and and educate you and help you with the process. Uh, it's really a, it's really important to the site, uh, to the community, and to the country.
1: Absolutely, Brian, and uh, that's that. You know, that's that's a very good point. You know. Uh, just diving into this stuff, reading about it, becoming familiar with it is really all it takes. Um, and just knowing, having that confidence uh, in that cyber is not a very complicated issue at all. It's, it's, it's very similar to 105 requirements. You just have to know what to turn to. And like we mentioned earlier, turn to those NIST publications because those two will really help you out and really get you going to where you need to be without getting technical at all. Um, there, there's a lot of things that you can do that are in those two publications that will really help you out and really get you started. And I'm sure your ITs would really appreciate you doing that. If you don't have a full-time cybersecurity staff in your facility, if you're kind of a smaller facility like we are, or you know, like like you know, Lucide is. Whenever I was there, um, you know, your ITs will appreciate the fact that you're that you're talking their language by using you know legitimate references that they can understand and they can help implement by working with you and that's going to and that's going to really really break that barrier down between the IT and the FSO is if you start there and if you even ask your ITs hey what what training should I seek out you know for not only myself but the entire facility and you know can you come talk at our safety meeting just little things like that will really go a long way um so Brian thank you very much for uh, joining us today we really do appreciate it uh we, we really appreciate everything Lucite's doing for the community. I know you guys are are, um, are are one of the model sites in southeastern Texas as far as safety goes and, and for implementing good measures. So thank you very much. And um, with that, that's, that's really it. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the opportunity, Brian. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Be sure to tune in to our next episode as Ian Bramson returns and dials in with John Micklus, president of the American Institute of Marine Underwriters, to talk cyber risk and insurance. Thanks for listening, and subscribe to our channel for more Risk Matters.